I wanted to look with you again this morning at the topic of David as a role model for the church and for us. Um, you know, in the idea that he was called or is called a man after God's own heart. You know, he made God his refuge. And so David is someone that we can look to. Someone that we can kind of seek to emulate and even see Christ in him in a greater way. Um, in fact, one of the titles that Jesus was so often called in the Gospels was the Son of David. You know, he, he was called that 12 times in, in the New Testament. And I think that that's a title that's significant. You know, significant to for Christ, it's significant in heaven. Um, you know, David was given that promise that he would, uh, his throne would last forever. And that was fulfilled through Christ. In Revelation 5, it talks about, in 5 and verse 5, it talks about the opening of the book of the, the seals in the last days. And it says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. You know, he's called the root of David in heaven. Hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals, uh, the seven seals. And so Christ is called the son and root of David. And not just because he was the greatest king in Israel, but you know, when you study his life, as, as we've looked at last week and we'll look at a little bit more, uh, you realize it was because of who he was as well. It was that he, he qualified in that sense because his life was one who revealed Christ. He was a man who trusted in God, who hoped in him, who made him his, his refuge, who followed him in all his ways. I want to just read a quote uh, by Pastor Bailey from one, from one of his books, or his book on David and Solomon, actually. It was kind of jumped out to me. He said, Christ humbled himself to be called the son of David because in the life of David, especially as it's described for us in the Psalms, we see so much of the life and nature and character of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is not revealed in the Gospels. David, like the Lord, Jesus is an example to us. I thought that's kind of a, a really significant thought, and, it, and it's true that when you look at David's life, you see a picture and an example of the aspects, some of the aspects of Christ that aren't even revealed in the New Testament because we're seeing into David's heart and we're seeing him, you know, seeing Christ in David. And I think there are a few things that are more well known uh, that give us a picture of what David's heart, or there are a few things that give us that picture um, of David's heart towards God, like some of his writings in the Psalms, right, where he expresses his heart. And, I, and one of the most uh, popular or well-known is Psalm 23. It's one that people even in the world know just because they've heard it so much. It's often called the shepherd's psalm. Shepherd's psalm. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful descriptions we can read in, in Psalm 23 about you know, laying down in green pastures, sitting beside still waters, being protected in the valley of the shadow of death, not fearing evil, 
Um, you know, an anointing upon his head, his cup running over, and goodness and mercy following him all the days of his life and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. But when you read that psalm, you realize those are all predicated on one thing, the very first line, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And um, I think one of the greatest things we can learn from David is not only was he a shepherd, he started off like that as a shepherd boy, and that's where he learned to meet with God and fellowship with the Lord out in the fields and with his sheep and so forth. But he also recognized the good shepherd in his life. He committed to following him wherever he led him. He submitted himself to the hand of the shepherd. He knew that as he guided his sheep and he had to direct them and protect them and correct them and, and all of those things, he realized, you know, I've got to let God do that to me and submit to him as the, the shepherd to his rod and staff. They were instruments of direction and authority that he brings out in that psalm. And, and this was really what was quickened to me when considering David as our role model, is that he was a shepherd, but what made him really great was how he submitted to the good shepherd, how he followed him, how he allowed the good shepherd to lead him and guide him in his life. We can see this concept played out in Christ's life or, or shown in Christ's life, even though he's the, the son of God and the king of kings, he came to earth to accomplish a specific purpose himself. And so in, in that sense, he was a sheep, he was a lamb under the, the shepherding of his heavenly father. And John 5 and verse 30, he said, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. He doesn't use the term shepherd, but that's really what the Father was doing for the Son. The Son was being offered as the, the Lamb, the sacrifice. And so the Heavenly Father was a shepherd to Christ, guiding him and directing him in his life in every step of the way, leading him to his, the, his, the ultimate purpose, which was to become the sacrifice for us. But in that, Jesus found his true purpose and power to overcome and conquer. And so it's knowing Christ as our shepherd, as he leads us, that is really the key in life. And Jesus himself said in John 10 and verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And I think we can understand that he gives his life for it and he gives it to the sheep as well. He gives life to the sheep and health and strength as the shepherd. And so he is forever called the good shepherd. He is, he is a good God, but he's really good at shepherding us if we'll allow him to protecting, guiding, leading us into the ways of everlasting life. If we'll follow and submit to his leading and his teaching. And so really the key in, in finding life through Christ is through submitting to him as the shepherd and his authority. There's a really good uh, story I thought that, that brings this out 
and it's and it's in a surprise from a surprising context. And I was just thinking of the story of the centurion. Remember the centurion who had a servant who was sick and he he sent to, to Jesus for healing? You know, and this is in Matthew chapter 8. And, and this man's a Roman. He's not a Jew, but his heart is for his servant who's sick. And he, so he sends to, to Christ, can you come and heal my servant? And that in itself is, is significant that, you know, he was caring for the heart of his servant enough to send someone to call for this man, Jesus, who, you know, he, he's heard of him. He doesn't have a, a, a relationship with him, it seems, but yet he calls for him. And so he, Jesus responds, okay, yes, I'll come and, and heal your servant. But then something, the most remarkable thing happens in the story, right, is he sends another messenger and he says, or maybe he tells the messenger there, but he's, he, he says, tells Jesus, you don't need to come into my house. You can just speak it. There's two things about that that is kind of marvelous. Uh, the first thing is, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine myself saying, Lord, you don't need to come into my house. I'd want him to come into my house. Uh, but, you know, this, the centurion was making a point. He, you know, he, he recognizes something. And, and let's read this actually in verse 8. So Matthew 8 and verse 8. He said, the, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy. And that was his motivation. He's like, well, I'm a Roman. I'm a soldier. I've seen and done some hard things. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come into to my house. Come under my roof. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And, and why is he saying this? Verse 9, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And here's, here's what, the, what really sticks out to us is Jesus' reaction. Verse 10, and Je when he heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were around him, who followed, he said, truly I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith not in Israel. That's something to think about. Israel was the people of God. They were to be the, the people of faith who hear, who hear God and follow his voice. And Jesus said, I haven't even seen this kind of faith in my own people, but I found it in a Roman. This Roman who, at least he, obviously he found faith in God because Jesus proclaimed he had the greatest faith that he'd seen. But perhaps we can receive some, or maybe he received some insight on the operation of faith because he knew what it was like to be a man under, under authority, fully submitted to authority, and the power of authority when you're submitted to it. And so he looked at Jesus, and he was willing to submit to this authority. And he said, all I have to do is speak, and it's done. So Jesus all you have to do is speak, and it will be accomplished. And Jesus said, great is that kind of faith. And so this concept, of course, then finishing the story of the centurion, he found life through that kind of faith in the good shepherd, and his servant was healed. And, and so the, the, there's that concept of being submitted to the good shepherd is so powerful, so vital 
because it releases life. Without it, we're vulnerable, aren't we? Like sheep, sheep without a shepherd are very vulnerable to attack. You know, one of the primary purposes of a shepherd is protect the sheep from wolves and, and danger, and sheep aren't very smart, and neither are we as, as human beings. We get into trouble without the Lord. David knew what that was like, having to fight off the lion and the bear. They were, they were looking for a tasty meal, and Jesus had to, or David had to stop them, retrieve those lambs. But if, if we submit to the leading of the good shepherd, he'll protect us. He'll keep us in his plan. doesn't mean we, we don't suffer difficulty or hardship, but it's all in his plan and in purpose to accomplish a work in us. John chapter 10 tells us how he wants to lead us as the shepherd. And in John 10 and verse 2, it says, But he that enters in by the door of the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. You know, the sheep hear his voice, and he leads them out into the pasture by day. Then he leads them back into the safety of the sheepfold by night. Um, and there's an ancient tradition uh, where the, the shepherd would, would herd the sheep into this sheepfold. And it's basically just a, pile, a, a wall of piled stone that would kind of be a, a semi-protection. And the tradition was is that the shepherd would just sit in the opening. There, there wasn't really a door that opened. It was just an opening. You know, they didn't, they didn't do carpentry out in the wilderness. They just picked some stones and put a thing there. And here we got the picture there of the shepherd. He would just sit in there all night. He was the door. And he protected the sheep to block any predator from, from coming in. And so Jesus is called the door. And he's our shepherd. And he'll protect us and he'll keep us. And so our strength is in learning to hear and live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in doing that, that is submitting to the Good Shepherd. And He'll protect us and He'll keep us and He'll lead us in safe ways in still waters and He'll restore us. And so if we'll follow Christ, He'll be the door, not only our entrance into eternal life, but our protector. He'll stand at the gate protecting us from danger because He never slumbers or sleeps. He's just sitting there in that doorway to keep us and to keep us from wandering off too. And so he stands as our protector as we submit to him as the shepherd of our souls. But, you know, where the danger lies uh, as to us as believers, and it's not necessarily that we don't submit uh, to Christ at all. You know, we, we can profess him, we can identify with him, we can follow him, but sometimes there can be just areas that are, not, are unsubmitted. Just certain areas of our hearts that are not fully, you know, that when it comes to that, and the shepherd calls us and speaks to us, we're, we're a little deaf in, in, that, in that respect. But what that amounts to is having unprotected areas. You know, we think of, of David's predecessor, King Saul. He had some blindingly deaf areas in his life that really 
caused him not to endure. You know, he had the same promise. God actually promised him that his reign would endure if he would follow and obey, but unfortunately he didn't. You know, he was submitted to God in many areas. He was quite successful in the beginning, but when it came to certain areas in his life, he was not under submission to God, especially when it came to caring about what other people thought of him, what the people thought instead of what God thought. And, you know, 1 Samuel 15, well, it started off in, in 13, you know, where he didn't wait for Samuel to sacrifice. He was afraid of people, you know, not having enough people because they were slipping away, being afraid of the Philistines. And then chapter 15, when God told him to defeat the Amalekites, God gave him the, the victory to destroy all of the Amalekites, but he also included a commandment that said, destroy everything. Don't let anything remain but the people wanted to keep the best of what the Amalekites had. They didn't want everything. They just wanted certain things that were good. They kind of pick and choose. But God said, no, destroy that enemy because that enemy would corrupt the people. This was one of the, the unsubmitted areas that Saul struggled with. He didn't bring it under the submission of Christ, the good shepherd of the Lord and and that was his undoing. And then David took over. And so there's that key of unsubmitted areas. But really, when you think of David, too, he had, a, he had one unsubmitted area, and it almost destroyed him. Right? And, I mean, we, we know that story because when you, when you think of David's life, we think of you know, how the Bible says he fully followed the Lord with all of his heart. But in our mind, we think, well, what about Bathsheba? Because in that instance, he did not fully follow the Lord, did he? Um, you know, the, the word of the Lord says, gives that specific commandment for kings um, in, in Deuteronomy 17. They're not to multiply wives and so forth. But, you know, we can also be sure that there were other instances in David's life where God was speaking to him about the situation, but that were probably overlooked you know, something about the Christian life is, uh, and Pastor Bailey used to, to always share that we never fall into pits. We don't just walk along blindly and then all of a sudden we're falling into, it, falling into a pit. He said there's warning after warning. And if we'll heed the warning, we'll avoid that. But if we keep ignoring the warnings of the Holy Spirit, then there we go. We end up in that pit or trap. And that's what we can believe understood, you know, happened with David. It, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was there warning him until it was too late. He fell into that, that trap. You know, he can tug at our hearts. The Holy Spirit can tug at our hearts. And yet somehow we get into a complacency of thinking, well, it, it'll be okay. The important thing is that we learn to identify those areas in our lives and in our hearts so that the enemy doesn't have a back door. Sometimes we can be so focused on my front door is barricaded and barred and nothing's getting through that front door, but we can have a flimsy back door that he can just open that up and sneak in. And so we want no avenue of influence in our hearts and lives. And that's a part of being fully submitted to the shepherd. Another psalm that David wrote was Psalm 139. It's, it's 
attributed to David, and some scholars think this was written later on in his life where he's looking back and he's considering the, the greatness of God as he's experienced him. But he ends the psalm with this, and this is where I, I would agree that it's like he's looking back at, his, at, at what he's been through, and he's like, Lord, keep me. And he says this in Psalm 139 and verse 23. He says, Lord, search me and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts. Lord, let me know if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any inclination, if there's any other open door, help me strength to be strong in that, to, to close off any avenue to the enemy. He didn't want any more open doors of access in his life. And so it was as if he was saying, Lord, I've been to the heights and I've, I've been to the depths and I, I've seen that you're there, but I don't, want any, I don't want any more open doors in my life that I have to experience the depths again. And so he's like, search me and try me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Our nature is to go astray. But if we will come and fully submit to the shepherd, he will care for us and protect us. It's as Peter says in, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 25, For you were as sheep going astray, but now you are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. If we will come and submit to him, he'll be the shepherd and bishop of our soul. He cares about how we feel. You know, he wants to protect our soul as much as he was, does our, our spirit and body. And so the lesson that we can learn from King David as our role model is that he knew and he experienced what it was like to be a shepherd but also to be led by the good shepherd, to submit to him, to follow him. He knew that there was a safety in doing so, and there was a danger in having an unprotected area of his life, and he almost didn't make it because of that unprotected area. But as we submit to him as the good shepherd, Lord, speak to me. Lord, help me to hear you. Lord, show me if there's any way in my life that that the enemy can get in and get a hold of me and influence me in any way and as we do that and we submit to that he'll lead us to green pastures he'll lead us beside still waters he'll restore our soul and sometimes he does that because he leads us through trying times as well but then he restores our soul as we follow him as our shepherd He'll lead us in the way of goodness and mercy so that we experience them all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever as we submit to the Good Shepherd. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for how you lead us and your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, we just come to you. Lord, we cry out to you as, as David did. Lord, would you come by your spirit and, and speak to us and show us any avenue, oh God, that the enemy has. Lord, just show us any way in us that would lead us aside. Oh God, lead us in the way of everlasting righteousness. Lord, that we could walk with you as the good shepherd. Oh, cause us to be sheep that would hear your voice and would submit to uh, your, um, 
your, to stay in your flock and to, to be in the fold and to respond to you and to be led by you wherever you would lead us. Oh, do that blessed and beautiful work within us, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.